This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray that you'll give us hearts which are open to your instruction and we pray that your word will be faithfully preached so that as a people we will truly learn to serve and to love one another and also to go out with the great gospel of Jesus Christ into the world. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I was attending a church not too long ago just to visit uh, during my holidays and uh, during the sermon... The preacher was talking about the dangers outside of the church. He's talking about all these dangers outside. And I thought he, he was uh, overemphasizing it. I think he was sort of saying that we are all okay here, everybody's okay, you're okay, I'm okay. But it's the people outside, they are the problems. And uh, we have to be watching out for the people outside. But I think that that's not true, isn't it? Because uh, just a few days ago, someone was telling me about how they knew this Christian man, this friend of theirs, who, because of troubles inside the church, had fallen away as a Christian, had stumbled in their faith, and today was no longer Christian, but they actually followed another religion. And I think that today's passage actually shows us why it's such a great temptation but it's such a great danger to feel that we are only in danger from what is outside the walls of our church. So as we come to Philippians, uh, the background really is that Paul is writing to the the church in Philippi and he is in chains. So if you look up here on the slide, he tells them right at the very beginning, if you look up here on the slide, that he is under guard, he is in chains for the gospel. So the context and the background must be that the church is being uh, persecuted, that there's opposition to the church. There, you know, people are being imprisoned for their faith, including Paul the Apostle. Now you sort of think that with such a grave danger to God's people, he would you know, spend a bit more time talking about watching out for the danger outside, you know, be careful of the danger outside and persevere. But the surprising thing is actually when you come to chapter 2, you see that he moves on from the danger outside the church, the opposition, the persecution, and he draws his attention, or he draws the reader's attention, to the danger inside the church. And so in chapter 2, he says in verse 1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. So as you actually look at this passage, if we actually spend any time thinking about it, he draws the attention from the danger outside of the church, which is the persecution, to say, look inside the church, and what is the problem inside the church? The problem inside the church is one of where there is disunity, and division. Right? Because, you know, I wouldn't be telling you to love one another unless there's no love, right? I wouldn't be telling you to be of one mind unless there's a danger where you have double-mindedness. I wouldn't tell you to be of one common purpose and one spirit unless there is a problem of division or disharmony in terms of their mind and their spirit. And that seems to be what is being hinted at at this passage. 
Right? The, 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 one of the problems of the church, inside the walls of the church, is that the people are not of one mind, they are not of one love, and they are not of one spirit. So Paul then says, look, there are four spiritual realities, right? The four spiritual realities are up there. That's why I numbered it for you, right? One, two, three, four. And that's what happens if you look in the passage. He says there are four spiritual realities. The first spiritual reality is that you're united in Christ. You are comforted in love, the second one. And you have a common sharing or fellowship in the Spirit. And you have tenderness and compassion. Now all of these things presupposes that every Christian have these things. Right? So we know that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we are some way supernaturally, spiritually united with Jesus Christ. The Bible also tells us that we are comforted in His love because Jesus died on the cross for us. We receive tenderness and compassion from Christ. That was what put Christ on the cross. We also have fellowship in the Holy Spirit. All of us have the Holy Spirit. And what is being said here, if you notice, is Paul keeps saying, if any of you, if any of you, if any of you, if any of you. That's a rhetorical device, right? And expects that the reader will say, yes. Yes, I am united in Christ. Yes, I have fellowship in the Holy Spirit. Yes, I have received love from Jesus Christ. Yes, I have received tenderness and compassion from Jesus Christ. Uh, now, this month is a great month for our church because, you know, there's so many people getting married. And, you know, whenever I uh, attend the, the wedding solemnization, whenever I ask them to make the vows, I always expect them to say, I will, right? I've yet to do a marriage ceremony where they say, no, I will not, right? Do, do you, will you take this person in sickness and in health, you know, for better for us? No, I will not, right? You never expect that. You expect them to say, I will. And that's what this passage is doing here. It, 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 you know, Paul is saying, if you are united with Christ, if you have God's love, sorry, Christ's love and tenderness, if you have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, yes, I have all these things. And because you have these spiritual realities, because you have affirmed to these spiritual realities, because you say, I, yes, I have these spiritual realities, then he says, you must reflect it practically in the church, within our fellowship. And how is that reflected? Well, it's reflected because it says in verse 2, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now here we see that actually in this passage, there are, there are like two main imperative verbs, right? two main commands or instructions. And the first one is that we are to make Paul's joy complete. It's the picture of where there is a cup which overflows. right? So he's basically saying, make my joy or my cup overflow with joy filled to the brim by having these qualities in among yourselves. To be like-minded, to have the same love, to be one in spirit and purpose. So they are to reflect that, that spiritual reality in the way that they live, right? They must love one another. They must, have sh they must show the unity and fellowship that they have in the Holy Spirit and be united in Christ. And they must show tenderness and compassion to one another. So what they spiritually have, they need to show practically among themselves. Now, I sort of summarized it in one sentence, right? The next slide, where they are basically told to have unity found in loving one another as Christ 
loved us. Now, the problem is, for the Philippian church as well as for ourselves, there can be a disconnect. Uh, a disconnect between our spiritual reality and the practical, practical reality of our church. I mean, it's very sad because I know of people, I know of stories, and I'm sure you know of stories of Christians who fall away because in their churches, maybe the pastors have no unity, or maybe the leaders have no unity, or maybe even the people within the church have no unity. And because of that, Paul is so strong in saying, you, you must make my joy complete by having the same love <clears throat> and having the same unity. Now, where does this disunity come from? Where does this, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> this harmony come from? Well, it comes from, we see in verse 3 onwards, from not good reasons, but bad reasons. So I'm going to clear my throat. <clears> throat> okay. So it says there in verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, in the Bible, we are told that... Uh, there's actually good reasons for disunity. Right? There's reasons why we should be divided. There's reasons why there should be disharmony in the church. So if there are false teachers, or there's people who are unrepentant of false living, the Bible tells us very clearly to be separate from those people. Right? Do not be yoked with these people. Uh, in the book of Revelation, the next slide, Jesus warns very seriously that the church in Thyatira would actually be judged by Jesus because they tolerate this woman Jezebel who teaches wrongly and, and, and encourages people into sexual immorality. So if you look at this passage, <clears throat> the disunity that we see in the Philippian churches is not because of bad teaching or bad living. But it comes about because of ungodliness among God's people. So they're not of one mind, they're not of one love, and they're not of one direction, because they are only looking for their own interests. So we began by saying that there's a danger in saying that the, you know, the danger for us is outside the walls of the church. The temptation for us is to look outside of ourselves and say the danger is, you know, there are all these people in our church who are you know, causing division within ourselves. But as we come to verse 3 and 4, it draws attention within ourselves, right, within our own skin, and asks ourselves, what is our motivation? What is our perspective? What is our, our, our thinking in terms of how we relate to other people in church? And it says that we must do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, or even verse 4, or just looking after your own interests. Now, in the translation, in the NIV, it's like, uh, it just says, do nothing. But actually, in the original language, it's actually stronger than that. There's actually a double negative, right? It's a, it's a double negative where it says, do nothing, do nothing. It's almost like an echo. I want you to know how serious this is. The Bible is saying, God is saying, do nothing, do nothing. 
out of your own selfish ambition and your vain conceit and out of your own self-interest. Because the reality is that, unfortunately, there are churches and there are Christians who do things not because of the love that Jesus has for other people or the common unity that we have in Christ so we have the same purpose, but unfortunately we do things for ourselves. So my father became a Christian very late in life and he goes to this big church and he tells me things about the church from his own young Christian perspective and I remember one day we were having dinner and he said to me that, you know, in my church, there are a lot of people who want to be somebody in church. And I'm like, huh? what do you mean there are a lot of people who want to be somebody in church? He says, yeah, yeah, you know, in my church, there are all these people, they want to be somebody. And I'm like, okay, but what do you mean? He says, well, they want people to listen to them. They want people to do what they want to do. They want people to respect them and get their way. And he went on to say, whether you agree or not, is that, you know, some of these people, they're like this outside, you know, in the real world, and they bring their attitudes into church. And he said, some of these people, they're nobodies outside, but in the church, they want to become somebodies. But whether his assessment is true or not, the reality is that that sort of attitude has no place in the church. We don't come to church so that we can get respect we don't come to church so that we can tell people what to do, right? We don't come to church for our own ego. But it tells us here that instead of selfish ambition, vain conceit, and looking after your own interests, right, we should be instead doing what verse 1 and 2 says, right? We should be of the same love. The way we relate to one another is not out of selfish ambition, but the love that Jesus has for each person. We should be asking ourselves, how do I love this person as Jesus loves them? How do I be united in a, in a practical way, in the same unity that we have united in Christ and in the Holy Spirit? It's very sad. I remember a few years ago, I got a phone call from a deacon from another church who was thinking of leaving his church because he was having this big fight with an elder in his church. And they were both in the same committee. And I actually knew them both. And I thought they were both very godly people. But it got to the stage where they were being very ungodly to one another. And uh, they, were, they were both having their own agenda and trying to marshal you know, people behind them to support them <clears throat> in their own agenda. And it had got to the stage where it become less about Jesus Christ and loving other people, but more about their own ego and their own position. And I actually recommended that the person actually read this passage in Philippians chapter 2. Right? That, that, that the mindset is not about my position, but it's about what Christ and His love would want us to do. So in verse 3 and in verse 4, if you look up here in the slide, right, I think it's a click twice. Right? There's a big but there, right? But. So do nothing, do nothing. But instead, what must they do? They must, in humility, value others above themselves. Right? Right? They must look to others better than themselves. And they must look to the interests of others. Now, it's not saying that I 
hypocritically or you know I, I become very fake humble and like I say yeah 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 everybody's better than me right everybody's better than me it's just saying that basically we should lower our ego and lower our pride and be willing to lift up the other person's interest and lift up the other person value the other person more in a sense than you value yourself which is a very difficult thing to do right? because naturally we raise ourselves up and we lower other people's down but here it says we should lower ourselves and value other people higher and look to their interests and try to value what they are thinking you know have a mutual consideration for what their interests are and do what is good for them rather than just what is good for me and that really takes i think the work of the Holy Spirit within us. I was reading an um, uh, article on the internet which said that this person said that he's never seen this miracle before. And I was thinking, what miracle can this be, right? And he said, the miracle that he's never seen before is someone changing their mind on the internet. <laughs> right? So he said, you know, I've argued with so many people on the internet, you go to the chats, you go to the blogs, you go to the forums, nobody ever changes their mind. Nobody ever says, yes, yes, I see where you are coming from now. Yes, there's logic in what you're saying. Yes, I, I, I've decided that what you said makes more sense than what I'm saying. I've decided to change my position. Nobody ever does that. I, I've never seen that happen before. You know, if you go on the internet, whenever you see people arguing, you know, after a while it becomes bold letters, then after it becomes capital letters, then it becomes swear words, right? Nobody ever says, yes, I understand what you're saying and I've, you know, I see the value in what you're saying. But as, as Christians, we are to show love to the people and that love is the love that Christ has for them. We are to see that we are all one people and we are to lower our own self-interest, our own ambitions, our own ego and see things more from the other person's point of view, to, to value their point of view. In fact, it's such a strong instruction that the Bible goes on in verse 5 to say, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Again, this is another imperative. This is an instruction. This is a command, right? So the first command was, to make Paul's joy complete, right? To, to, to make his cup full of joy. The second command is, is that they must have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. It's not an option. You must have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. And what is the mindset of Jesus? The mindset of Jesus is categorized by humility and service. Okay, humility and service. So it says here, who, being in... Oh, you need to look at your Bibles here. I didn't print it out for you, right? So you need to look at your phones or your Bibles. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, making himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place 
gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every name should bow, sorry, every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, here the Bible, when it talks about Jesus' humility and service, doesn't take us to Jesus washing his disciples' feet. It brings us to the heart of the gospel. Jesus, who is God, becoming a man and dying on a cross. And it, and it tells us what it really shows about Jesus. In verse 6, it says, Jesus, who in very nature, God. Right? It's like, he was God in and of himself. He wasn't like externally God, but inside something else. Right? He, was, he was in his very fundamental form, in his very nature, Fully God in His glory, in His identity, in His nature. But yet, it says in verse 6, He did not consider equality with God something to be used to His own advantage. Now, if you think about it, we use our identity to our advantage, right? So, you know, it's like, uh, recently, there was this thing that in the there was a scandal in America, where you know rich Americans <clears throat> were using their wealth and power in order to get their children into these Ivy League universities, right? But I don't think it's just Americans that have this problem, right? All over the world, even Singapore, right? If you're rich, you use your wealth or your status or your influence or your connections in order to to use your position. To take advantage of things. Right? You, you use it selfishly for your own selfish ambition. But here was Jesus, and rather than using his position as God to take advantage of his position, he did the opposite, right? He it says there in verse seven, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human. Likeness. Now, for those of you who are looking at your Bibles, you notice here there's a contrast. It's the same word, okay, in its original language. In verse 6, he was in very nature God, but then in verse 7, he took on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So, Jesus, instead of using his position to seize power and to grasp at things, he emptied himself, he poured out of himself. And gave away his position to become a servant. Right? There's, there's, a, there's no greater contrast. Right? It's actually a picture of contrast. You're God. And as God, people serve you. Right? That's, that's a natural thing. If you're rich, people serve you. Right? I, I remember someone told me the story of how he has this super rich friend in the Philippines. And you know, even putting on his socks and shoes, he gets the maid to do it. Right? So you know when you're rich, right? people serve you. So imagine if you're God, people serve you, right? But Jesus, who was God, empties himself, pours out of himself, gives himself away. So he becomes a servant in order to serve us. And it says there that he became a servant being made in human likeness. Now it's not where you know, he just looks like a human, but he is... He is human. He, he, he is in very nature human as well. 
Now, we may not really think much about that, right? We think, ah, yeah, what's the big deal, right? I'm a human, you're a human. It's not so bad to be human, right? But if you make the transition from being divine God to being human, it's a very, very humiliating thing, right? It's like going from one extreme where you're God, divine, sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, to being a human being. It's a bit like a... Think of it in, in, in our terms. Okay? Imagine you're a human being and you want to humble yourself and to pour out yourself and empty yourself and become another creature. You wouldn't become like a pet dog, right? Because, you know, a pet dog is still not so bad. Lah. I was thinking to myself, you know, it's like a human being choosing to become a cockroach. Right? human being becoming a cockroach because I think in some small way which doesn't really compare to Jesus who's God becoming human it's like us becoming the lowest level of creation right cockroach because you know there is no you know there is like save the dogs right so today I was listening on the radio today it's like save Singapore strays day you know so if you want to save some dogs you should go to Pasaris and you can adopt a dog there is no save the you know we have the save the whale society right, right we, we 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 you know we join things and tell the Japanese they shouldn't kill whales for food, but there is no save the cockroach society right, so it's the same thing you know it's like as human beings why would you want to become a cockroach well God, Jesus Christ becomes a human being, to serve us, and he serves us it says, by humbling himself. And becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus didn't become a human being so that you know, he could enjoy food, live in the palace, die in his sleep. He came and humbled himself to serve us and to die on a cross. Right? The Bible here in this section doesn't tell us why he dies here on the cross, but we know from other parts of the Bible that he did it to serve us because he pays for our sins and takes God's judgment upon himself. Now when you put all those things together, that's really amazing. Can you imagine Jesus who is God, rather than using his position for his own advantage, he takes on the very nature of a servant, becomes a human being and dies on a cross. See, when you think about it, no one would do these things. Now, in the ancient world, nobody voluntarily decides to become a servant, right? The, 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 the word here, servant, is akin to a slave, right? Because you only became a slave if you were sold into slavery, you were a prisoner of war, or you had became bankrupt, you, became, you know, you had debts to pay. No one, no one chooses to become a servant or a slave. And the same way, no one chooses to die on the cross because the cross was an excruciatingly painful and humiliating way to die. It's just like nobody today would, would want to go to prison to be executed by hanging. I mean, that sounds bad enough, but no one would want to go to die on the cross because the cross was designed for torture. Right? You took like two or three days to die, you were in agony, you were naked, people were laughing and jeering at you when you were 
when you're hanging there, you're in the hot sun. But God, who is Jesus, humbled himself, became a human being, died on the cross to serve us. Now, why are we told this? Because in verse 5, the next slide, we are to have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus' humility and Jesus' service is an awesome magnitude of humility and service. And so the Bible tells us that we are to model that, we are to live that out in reality, even though we can't. I mean, how can we serve like Jesus did? How can we be as humble as Jesus was? But we must be of a similar humility and a similar service. So, what is your attitude and your relationship to other people at church? Do you humble yourself? Do you seek to serve them? Do you love other people like Christ loved them? Or are you serving yourself? Are you doing things out of self-interest and your own ego and your conceit? I remember it was very sad once I was speaking to another pastor and I was telling this pastor about another pastor who was having problems and this other pastor didn't seem very compassionate at all. Uh, in fact, they were indifferent to this other person. I was thinking to myself, that's really bad, right? Because here's a fellow brother in Christ who's given their life to serve God and uh, you don't really love them the way Christ loves them. Uh, you're only really thinking about yourself. And I think that was wrong. So, uh, the next slide. It's the first part of the, this passage is all about unity found loving one another in, like Christ loved others. Then the second part is to model Jesus in humility and service. So, do you do that? Do you model Jesus in humility and service? Uh, many, many years ago, seems like a lifetime ago, when I first thought of doing full-time ministry, I did a ministry training scheme in Australia for a little while. And they made it a point to get all the ministry trainees to do quite humble jobs. Right, like, you know, you have to uh, move chairs, move tables. When you're a theological college, they always want you to collect the plates, uh, you know, wash dishes, mop the floor, things like that. Because the point that they were trying to, to make was that, yeah, everybody would want to become the, the Bible study leader. Everybody wants to preach. But, but are you willing to model uh, the service that Jesus uh, modeled, right? Because if you're not willing to model it, then you, you might actually be wanting to preach or to be a Bible study leader because of your own ego. Not because you want to serve other people, but because of the, the, the misplaced pride that comes from, from being a teacher. So I remember how uh, <clears throat> during... Uh, you know, there's this thing that we have in our church called the Lark Hill Camps, where... We run uh, like these camps for, for, for kids and, and my kids have gone and some of your kids have gone. Some of the children of our church have gone to Lark Hill camps. And, and I remember uh, we, my dad asked me, you know, why, why are you guys doing all this food? And I said, well, you know, there are all these people in our, in our church and other churches who bother to, to spend like, time cooking these big pots of spaghetti. And then my dad asked me, 
what do these people usually do? I said, oh, well, you know, some of them are teachers, some of them work in civil service, some of them... Do. And they said, you mean these people actually bother to, to, to waste their time making food for all these kids? And I said, yes, they do, right? But, but that's what loving, humble service is, right? You, you actually are willing to do humble, willing service in order to love other people. And that's why if, if you are not willing to serve, you, you need to ask yourself the question, is it because I'm only really interested in myself, in my own self-interest? Because if you are loving other people and serving other people, like what Jesus did for us, then you would be willing and happy to serve other people. So remember what someone once asked before in... Um, Somewhere I read or heard one day, he said, you know, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? Not the content. You know, he's not asking what is the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He was saying, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ to you? What do you think it means? Right? What, do you, what, 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 is it, what does it mean to you? He says, for some people, the gospel of Jesus Christ is just an intellectual exercise. Right? I want to find out as much as I can about Jesus and it becomes an intellectual exercise. For some people, the gospel of Jesus Christ is just like a passport. You know, when I die and uh, I go to an immigration checkpoint in heaven, I show them my gospel of Jesus Christ and I say, okay, because I've got this stamp of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I can go to heaven. So but actually, when you look at this passage, the gospel of Jesus Christ should shape and fill our whole life in the way that we live. If we know the gospel of Jesus Christ is love, His death, his service to us, then that's the way that we need to love and serve other people. And if you are willing to share the gospel of other people, uh, as we did in the Bible study, it teaches us in a way that maybe it's because we don't love other people and we won't want to serve other people like Jesus served them. But that's not an option, right? Because if Jesus Christ loved and served in humility these other people too, and die for them on the cross, then we too need to love and serve them by sharing the gospel with them. So in conclusion, uh, I'm going to tell you this true story. I also don't know whether it's true or not. Uh, but it sounds, it sounds good. It sounds good. But, but, but sometimes, actually I don't know how come I've got so many illustrations from my dad today, but my dad tells me these stories and sometimes I, myself and my children, wonder whether they're really, really true. So anyway, he said he had this friend and they were at the airport together, and they wanted to get upgraded. You know, a lot of people want to get upgraded. I don't want to get upgraded, but rarely happens, never happens to me. So, you know, they were at the airport, and they were in this foreign country, and they wanted to get upgraded. And his friend was very upset that the, air, uh, the, what's the, person, the ticketing officer wouldn't upgrade them. Our passenger service person wouldn't upgrade them. So this person, who apparently is some big shot, said to the ticketing agent or the passenger person, and said, do you know who I am? Do you know how often I fly with you? Do you know how I, who I am? Do, do you know that? So apparently this is uh, in a foreign country because this would never happen in Singapore, right? but apparently this happens overseas. So then the lady was very, kept quiet and, you know, listen, listen, listen. Then I think she got fed up. So then, you know, in the, in the foreign countries, they have this microphone, right? So then she took the microphone, she turned it on, then she spoke to the crowd waiting behind him and says, um, Can someone please help this gentleman? 
he seems to have some trouble. He doesn't know who he is. Right? <laughs> and I think that, in a sense, what this guy was doing is, is, uh, is, is what we naturally want to do, right? We want to use our position for our own selfish interests. But the Bible tells us here that we are not like this, right? Instead of grasping for power, we have to follow Jesus in, in, in being giving, right? Instead of taking, Jesus poured himself out. Instead of, instead of uh, wanting to be served, Jesus served others. In the same way, we need to be humble, serving, and loving like Jesus. Because if that's how we are, then as a church, uh, we will be pleasing to God, we will be listening to what He's telling us, but also we will then want to save other people by sharing the same gospel with them. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we want to ask that we do not fall into the temptation to think that the danger for us is outside, but rather, as we see in the book of Philippians, yes, there, there are dangers outside, but there are also dangers within ourselves. Uh, that we seek, like the world, to further our own interests, to do things for our own pride, that we so often, uh, perhaps even subconsciously, uh, want to do things so that we look good. But dear Father, help us to see that we are to be of the same mind as your son. We are to have the same love for other people. Help us to be motivated by that love. We are to have the same tenderness and compassion. We are to reflect that unity with one another. Uh, dear Father, we pray that we may, we may value others and their interests more than ourselves. That we are to take seriously what Jesus has done on the cross, to be humble like Jesus and to serve because he really poured and emptied himself out. That he was divine but he became a human being to serve us to die on the cross. So we in some way that we must serve others too. So dear Father, we want to pray for ourselves that uh, as we serve one another here, we will also serve other people outside by sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.